Just wanted to give my wife a shout out as none of this would be possible if it wasn't for her love and support. So just wanted to say, love you, Johnny. Take it away. This episode of the Crown Refs podcast is brought to you by RefereeStore.com. To save 15% on all United Attire products, enter Crown15 at checkout. We hope you enjoy this episode and do us one last favor before you listen. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. The audio experience for basketball officials. Serve the game. You gotta blow your whistle, boo 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 boo, and run in. Say the same verbiage, pretty much. Just explain it different. Partner, I'm 100% at it, what black deflected it. Or whatever the case may be, you just bring the information of whose ball it should be using that 100% language. What's up, Brett? What's going on, Paul? How you doing? Good, man. And how are you? Doing good. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, you got to say hello to everybody. I know you've been a little quiet. You've been working 20 games a week, but uh, this is your f- first time on Zoom. So say what's up to everybody. What's up? Uh, I see Welton and John. Who else we got here? Scott, Taylor. There was a lot of people. What's up, everybody? What's going on, man? What's going on? Living the dream. So uh, before we start, I know you got a bunch of topics and questions, which is good because this follows right along the kind of theme we've been doing where just one person kind of brings the the questions and kind of curates the topics and then we just all jam from there. But before we get into that, just give us one, two minutes on your background. I know you're working a ton of games, you know, how long you've been refing, where you're from and you know, your goals and ambitions. Uh, about seven years. I think this will be, you know, my, my eighth season coming coming up. I'm not positive there. Um, I recently got on board with John Levinson and uh, Tim Embersoll and uh, Marty Novich, Jersey doing the high school. So now it's the Mid Atlantic and the Patriot and uh, you know all those conferences. So looking forward to to getting that started. D three men's. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, up to up to D two. So JUCO D three and D two. Oh no, I'm sorry, women's women's. Okay, women's cool. <clears throat> and uh, and right now, I kind of get a sense for where you are. You just you have some good opportunities. You're just uh, hustling away, right? Doing 20 games a week. Very very lucky, man. Very happy to be what I'm doing. Very blessed. Um, not so much coaching anymore. I don't really have the time, you know, some lessons here and there, but, uh, you know, lucky to be asked to do these local uh, New Jersey tournaments. Some of them are fundraisers. Um, you know, sometimes I just work for a guy that has his friends doing uh, his kids, friends doing, doing games in the park. So I'm lucky, man. You know, it's, uh, it's, I'm glad that I, I had, uh, my coaching experience. I, I was uh, affiliated with Megan Howie, the, uh, Stevens women's coach and she kind of got me connected with some people and I decided to take the women's route. One of the great things about, you know, doing so many games is obviously seeing so many different plays, but when you can approach these games with the right mindset and go in and try to extract value and, and actually learn from these games, then you can have a lot of takeaways and like questions and create 
new conversation. So um, I know you have you sent me a list of a bunch of topics. You said you had uh, the first one that you were really really interested in. So why don't we just get going? Tell us where you want to start, uh, and um, you know I'll give you my feedback, and then everybody else in the group you can either listen in or or chime in on mute, and uh, we'll get jamming. Freezing up. Yeah, that was that was a uh, uh, really choppy. Yeah, uh, you want to repeat that or? Sorry. No, no worries. No, I was just saying you have a bunch of uh, topics that you brought, so why don't you just get started? Go in any order you want, and uh, we'll get jamming. All right. Well, I, uh, I informed you before I had uh, something I thought you'd like. Um, you, they call you no no call Paul, correct? I mean, I pretty much call myself that, but I right, right. tell everybody else to call me that. Right. Um, so no call Paul, I'm sure you would agree, only applies to uh, shooting fouls. And you would never say that you would you were no call Paul in, with regard to technical fouls, intentional fouls and, and things like that. So I thought, uh, you, you know, just to add clarity to that, I mean, I know it's sarcastic and I'm joking around. I, I, I want to be correct call Paul. You know, I want to get every every call correct. But I, there's just a little bit of that, uh, I guess, confidence to the ability to no call incidental contact up until it becomes illegal contact. I think it's a really good skill. So that's kind of where that joke joke came in. Um, we want to get the plays right. 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 And I'm sure you would never consider yourself no call Paul with regards to, you know, technical fouls that they need to be called, obviously. So it really just pertains to shooting fouls and, and marginal contact. So I'm going to call you no call, uh, no shooting call. So you call, just, call, call. did you have a question about that? No, I just thought it was funny because I'm sure you would not want to be affiliated with not calling technical fouls. But um, yeah, I just thought that was funny. Yeah. So, um, something I wanted to ask you about was uh, all the different rule changes over the past. Uh, there's there's the one that's very uncommon. It's the, the five second back to the basket rule. That's not applicable for all levels, but um, Obviously, they added the defensive three seconds. They added the hand checking. They added the uh, unable to land shooter. So, um, you know, I just wanted to hear what your take is on on the rule changes and um, you know how it's different on each level. And if if there's other rule changes that I'm uh, you know forgetting off the top of my head, but I thought it's you know it's real interesting how it's changing all the time. Yeah, I mean, the game is always changing. Before you even mention, like, a rule change, you have to specify which rule book you're talking about. So which rule book, which rule book are we talking about? I mean, uh, I'm for gonna, now, uh, I, high school? For high school NCAA, yeah, yeah. NCAA men's or women's? Uh, well, I'm doing women's, but, you know, um, some of the rules are obviously different and some are applicable in, in both. But, uh, yeah, I just think it's really interesting how, you know, we don't know what's around the 
corner, obviously. I think I heard you talk about how FIBA is experimenting with four refs. And uh, obviously here in New Jersey, I have done 99% uh, of my games have been two man. You know, uh, take that with a grain of salt. There's advantages and disadvantages to it. But, um, you know, it's just um, we're waiting for that to happen here in New Jersey full time. So that would be something to look forward to in terms of rule changes, so to speak, because currently uh, the big schools that, you know, always have three refs, they're, they're just, they're the only schools that have three refs every game, or otherwise it's gotta be a conference game or, you know, tournament game, but 99% of the games here in New Jersey are our two refs. I'm sure you're aware. No, I'm not sure that that's the interesting thing. I talked to so many people from different States and it's just, vastly different on each state some states they do three person for jv games you know like some states all varsity games are three person so <clears throat> are there any uh the nfhs rule changes that you wanted to discuss nfhs rule changes um uh, because you went specifically you, you, went very, you went very general with with that just rule changes in general like so I just want to get to the specifics of it. Was there a particular rule change that you wanted to discuss or uh, another question about uh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the one that is most applicable, uh, well, obviously in the pros, it's different with the, uh, the shooter unable to land. Um, so can you clarify that in, in college and in high school, a defender is legal if they're in front of the shooter and uh, the rules are a little bit different as far as uh, landing spaces. Is that correct? I mean, are you re referencing the NBA rule change where, with like the pump fake and, and the offensive player creating the contact when the defender jumps forward? Or is going um, Well, from what I understand, if a defender is legal, they're, they're not required to move out of the way if a jump shooter is is jumping into them. Obviously, when you, you uh, become an airborne shooter, the space in front of you, you're, you're entitled to that space. If a defender is legal, though, however, um, from what I understand in, in the higher levels of basketball, the, the defender must be out of the way of the you know shooter. And uh, in college and high school, they can still be in front of a shooter and have contact occur, but that contact will be will be legal. Can you? either elaborate or confirm that that is that is the case here john do you know which uh play type he's talking about is it the the jump shot play yeah i wasn't really fully grasping that um but i assume if that's right uh the the jump shot is that what you're describing um, yes um, only on yeah i'm going to Oh, then jump shots. Is that what you said? So, what was that? Yes, on jump shots only, um, where the shooter is jumping into the defender, so to speak, and the defender is legal um, in in the professional. You know, from what I know, they have to move out of the way. And in high school and college, um, you know, yeah, what, it's, it's a different. It's a different. Look. I don't know enough about the FIBA rules. So Paul, maybe if you do, or you can speak to it. I know at the high school and college level, we'll just call that an offensive foul. If the shooter makes contact uh, with a legal defender okay. to try to draw a foul, we'll call that an offensive foul. 
Gotcha. Cause that's something that you obviously rarely see in, in the higher levels. And uh, I know there was a rule change with the landing space in, in the last, uh, it must've been like six years ago or something where they they're trying to protect the shooters, obviously, which is not applicable to NCAA and NFHS, but it is a relevant rule change. And I think it's, it's interesting and it, it you know, shows what may happen in the future and how they can adjust the rule and because they added uh, the rip through, you can't get shots on a rip through anymore. Um, obviously, you see a lot of calls where the shooter kicks the defender. So there's just a lot of stuff and uh, rule changes with with the shooters. I thought that was interesting. Can I uh, can I follow up with a question to you? Um, with the NCAA women's, are you guys eliminating your flopping? Um, rule or going directly to a technical foul with it? Do you know if there's any change to that? That is actually a big topic I want to talk about today. Um, I think uh, it's rare to see a, a flopping technical called. Um, from what I've learned and been taught, you know, it may be a better option to address the coach. Hey, coach, you know, can you tell your player to please stay on his feet if possible? Um, in high school, uh, fooling the referee is, is a technical foul. Um, I have seen only one instance where a technical foul was called for a flop. Um, it was, I guess, one of the worst ones I've ever seen. And that is one of the, the rarest things I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever even seen a, a flop called for a technical foul, though it is a rule in the rule book that fooling the referee is a technical. So I wanted to hear what uh, Paul has to say. Any plays that any of you guys have seen where, yes, the player is flopping, but we're not going to call it technical because it's just, you know, not the right call, so to speak. But has anybody had a play where they either had to call a technical for a flop or have, I'm sure you've warned the coach many more times than, than warranting a, a technical foul, which is also my take, but uh, yeah, um, it is now a technical foul in college from what I know for fooling the referee. Directly, no warning. Right. That's, I but believe course, Paul, is that right too for men's? I think that's what's yeah, coming. That's a new rule change. Yeah. This is a great topic, and I brought this up probably a year ago uh, on TikTok and with our with our private group. And listen, there needs to be national awareness in high school that flopping is a technical foul. No one ever calls a technical foul. I'm not going to say no one because right. since I've posted that, I've had people reach out to me directly saying, oh, I, I gave a technical foul for this flop the other day and he sent me the play. So people are starting to do it. But the bottom line is no one, first of all, thinks it's a technical foul. And and everybody else has been taught for generations to either throw a block on it or go talk to the coach and like warn them and tell them to stop flopping. When it's clearly in the rule book under 10-4 player technical, 10-4 F, faking being fouled, or knowingly attempting a free throw or accepting a foul, which the player was not entitled. Now that definition uh, from some of the comments um, I got was people thought faking being fouled was me stepping up to the line when I wasn't fouled and trying to shoot a free throw. I think it's separate. It's just like the college rule, faking being fouled, AKA flopping, AKA trying to deceive the ref. 
So that being said, going into the 2022-23 season, I will be calling a technical foul when players flop. Yeah, we had uh, a game that I had at one of the, the clinics or something. We had a player that was a uh, airborne shooter, and after every shot, he would try and kick his leg out and make it look like the contact was there. And, uh, you know, after the game, you know, I, I evaluated, basically was saying, tell the coach about it, warn the coach about it, and if he keeps doing it, go ahead and give him a tech. So, and I was, because I was wondering, like, would it be an offensive foul? I mean, he's kicking his leg out and he's making contact with the defender and the defender's in a legal guard position. You know, he'll, he'll make the shot and then just, just doing a bunch of extra stuff, falling on the ground out there every shot. And, hey, make a chair. So, technical foul after warm first, tell the coach about it in the high school level and then administer tech if it continues. I don't know. We don't have to warn the coach. That's now we're getting into a coaching strategy. I know it, it ties into game management too, but like you're telling, you shouldn't have to tell the coach what a flop is, right? I mean, it's 2022, mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on now. We're, we're so lenient in this category. We don't want to, we think we're inserting ourselves in the game when it's just bad defense. Players mm-hmm. need to stand on their feet. This rule is. Um, we've raised awareness on this rule in college. Now it's to the point where it's a technical foul. And the rule has always been there in high school. We've just failed to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I'm going to bring it up at my meetings. I may I may even bring it up in every pregame. Captains and coaches pregame. I may say flopping is a technical foul. I don't know. That's me going off script a little bit. But mm-hmm. I, I just kind of want to let them know that I, I'm not going to no call all these flops anymore. Like I don't have a options we have we have a tool faking being fouled player you just you know 10 4 f player technical coach faking being flopped or excuse me faking being fouled is a technical foul paul question for you strategy wise would you rather put a class b foul for flopping a technical foul in, in ncaa men's or just a player control if it's a shooting offensive shooter that like makes contact with a legal defender to try to uh, mimic a, a flop or a, a foul. So the faking being fouled situation there, would you rather put the technical foul class B or a player control foul for the foul? And, w- and what exactly is the offensive player doing? Like he makes contact with the defender with maybe a leg kick or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's what I was saying in my game. I'm just wondering what 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 should be your go-to? Should you just call the player control foul as an offensive foul or should you call it a, a class B technical foul? To be transparent, I've I've yet to have one of those kick out offensive fouls in my entire career. Now I've That's probably wild. missed I've probably missed three to five of them. There have been like five of them that were there for me. So I'm trying to really get one of those this year. So my answer to you is that you said the word contact. If there's foot contact from from a kick out, then I think we can go offensive there. But uh, it's just going to be a case-by-case, play-by-play basis. Yeah. I only think of it because I think the Class B does not count against a kid. And the cl- and the p- uh, player control foul, of course, will. I know. I just don't – I'm not smart enough to think about all that in that moment. That's what we're talking about it now. <laughs> no, I know, but to, like, figure out is it person right, right. Class B? Oh, how many fouls does he have? Does he have three? Is this his fourth? I don't know. It's too much thinking for me. And it prevents it. Sometimes it clouds our judgment coming sure, in sure. That history. Um, it was like the other day we, had, we were working a men's league game and uh, 
I had to come from like 50 feet away to call a technical foul because this player's clapping in my partner's face, clapping in his face. And he did it like three, four times. I'm sitting there like looking at my watch, nothing, 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 nothing. Okay, do, 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 technical foul. But the point is when I asked my partner why he didn't call it, he goes, oh, me and him have a history. And that just brought out the simple fact that when you when you bring in past experiences into a current game, it's going to hold you back in some way, shape, or form. So in this case, he had a long history. This player is very difficult. By the way, every ref has a long history with this player because this player is not a nice, not a nice person, disrespectful towards officials. But you still have to go in with a clean slate every game, and you can't bring that in. And you know, I gave him a technical foul last game. Sorry, I had to give him one this game. I wasn't thinking about the history. He started with a clean slate, but you know, it is what it is. But don't let previous possessions. This can happen in a previous possession where you're thinking about the block charge play that you just missed. And then the next play you have something else and you were, you were overthinking the last play. So you weren't ready for the current one, or it could come down in a bigger picture scenario where you just had, didn't think you had a good game the last game and you still haven't bounced back from that. Cause you're thinking about that. So just being that next play mentality uh, mindset. Um, but I like the way this, where this conversation goes because uh, I think the faking being fouled in high school is something we all need to do a better job of being on the same page about. Once we're all on the same page about it and start calling it, then it's there. People know. Right now, no one knows. It's a shock. It's going to be a shock. Like when I call um, a technical foul for a flop this year, I'm probably going to have to call a few technical fouls after that because no, no one has ever seen it. And that's our fault. It's funny. You're, we're sitting here saying when I call a technical foul for flopping, it's 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 just a funny topic. But um, with what John was saying, um, you know, obviously if it's it's a kick a kick out by the shooter, a born shooter, it can't be a flop or you know the the contact has to be out of his plane. And uh, obviously if he's kicking, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to cause an unfair advantage if he's kicking the guy, even if there's just a little bit of contact. We're, you got to call that. But um, yeah, with the whole flopping, um, it's the offense and the defense. And I uh, something I want to say to you also, how you say start, develop, finish. Um, I, I've started I've started thinking of start, develop, develop, finish, or develop, developing, finish because of you know just how you have to learn to be more patient. So another thing to add, one of your you know famous quotes, uh, start, develop, develop, finish, is, is what I've been saying recently to people. And um, there's something about, I, so I have here in my notes, there's certain plays where we're going to let more contact go because such as a, a swing pass where it's a wide open shot and the kid, you know, the passer gets hit on the arm pretty bad. And it's a wide open three, wide open dunk. And then I also have rebounding is, I think those two, a pass that, you know, there's a clear advantage. We're not going to call a hit foul on a pass unless it, and again, there too, develop, develop, because the pass may have been altered a little bit, but that shooter still might get the ball and get a wide open basket. So we have to be extra patient on, extra patient on those passes where there's contact to see if the, uh, you know, there was an unfair advantage or, the, the pass was altered. And uh, same thing with uh, rebounding. We obviously have a, a much higher pain uh, tolerance for rebounding 
So I think rebounding and passing are the most patient. And also we have a little more time, like, you know, after the pass is made, we have a whole second to see if an, an advantage was, you know, uh, apparent. And with rebounds, sometimes rebounds get deflected once, twice, you know, we have a lot of time to be patient on those plays, but obviously coming toward you as a lead, totally different story. Um, you know, you got to make a quick decision because the foul has to match the whistle. So you got to call the foul when you see it, as opposed to being extra patient and, oh God, I should have called it earlier before the contact. And now I didn't call it. And now we got free throws when I should have called it earlier and things like that. So I just think it's interesting how passing and rebounding, we let a lot more contact go, even though in other situations it, it would be called if it were a different, a different play. So I just wanted to hear you uh, speak about that. With that last category that you just spoke of, I think the first two were spot on, but then continuing that trend in lead with plays coming to the rim, we got to still apply that concept, start, develop, 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 developing. That's cool that you're adding more because we're just adding more time and I love more time. Don't forget the last part though, finish. The last part's decide. Right. And that's just giving you an either even more of a count and a cadence to then decide on the play. But yeah, I think plays to the rim, that's where we talk about, that's where I talk about no call Paul and having a tough chin and being able to really judge legal versus incidental. So I think that that play type category goes along with having a let play start, develop, finish, just like uh, passing. You know, I put out a couple posts about, I, I, you know, at the camps I see we're calling fouls as he's getting a hit on the arm, but he's making a clean pass to somebody in the corner who's spotting up for a wide open three. Now, the way you described it, you said, yeah, he got hit and it was bad. That could be, that sounds like it could be a foul. Like we just because he's wide open, we're not going to let him get crushed. It can't be too much contact where like we you know we can't ignore that right uh, but if it's enough if it's below that threshold where we can ignore it based on him being able to play through it making that successful pass you know we just want to let that that play on and and like you mentioned with rebounds and possession consequence that's another um time in the game where sometimes we insert game interrupters because the rebounder catches the ball cleanly Okay, defender gets his arm a little bit, but then he rips through and then makes a clean outlet pass. We don't want to stop the game there. So those are some right. play right. types to avoid those game interrupters. And uh, on the opposite spectrum, obviously three-point shots, we let the least amount of contact go. And uh, obviously those are hard because sometimes we see the shot get off, you know, full form, good. Then we have a little bit of a legal vertical plane defender contacting somewhere, didn't affect the shot, in, you know, in, in the referee's eyes. And those are tough because, you know, you, you can't tell what's going to happen with the shot until it hits the rim. And we all, we all are happy when the ball goes in and there was a finger touch and, and we're like, you know, I'm glad I left that one. But those are absolutely super tough, obviously. And, and in New Jersey, like I said, two refs out there, it's, you know, you're, you're refereeing the opposite wing on a, on, a, on a three try. And it is so hard, obviously. We all know what the tunnel is. It's very similar to the tunnel, in my opinion. With, with two refs, good luck seeing a 
elbow extended opposite side, you know, three point illegal contact. And when it's, when it's questionable, you gotta be a hundred percent. So uh, yeah, I just thought it's interesting how rebounding and passing, we're going to let way more contact go than we would on a, a shot or yeah. a, a three point shot, if you will. Yeah, that's, that's true. Jump shots. There's obviously less leniency with contact. You got to let the player land. We don't use terms like marginal, even though it's not in the rule book. I still use it sometimes. We don't use terms like, oh, that was incidental, really, with uh, contact to a jump shooter because most contact is illegal on a jump shooter. Not all. There's plenty of times where we are like, oh, they kind of high-fived there or caught him a little bit on follow-through, but it didn't do anything and there was no rhythm or or balance affected, so just play Mm -hmm. on Mm-hmm. And it's tough to hit a defender with, you know, when he's completely vertical, maybe moving A to B a little bit, but he's right in front of the shooter playing perfect defense. Are we really going to hit a defender with a foul when he's hardly moving and he's he's vertical, especially if the, the shooter ends up hitting the vertical defender's hand? We got nothing there, you know, so... Uh, that's another question. Once the shot is released, the defender is legal in his plane. The offensive player is now in the same uh, spot, if you will, as the defender, and we have contact when the defender was vertical the entire time. That can never be a foul, correct? On who? I'm saying the defender is right in front of the shooter, arms up, and when the shooter releases the ball, they contact the defender when the defender's in their own plane. What do, what do we have there? You're saying that could never be a foul on the defender is what you're asking, right? I just wanted That's what I'm asking, yeah. I wanted you to clarify because it could be a foul on the offensive player, right? If you land in the defender's space yes. and you charge through him, now we have an offensive foul, player control foul. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I don't like to ref hypothetical scenarios that we can't see, but what you just said was the defender was legal. He jumped straight up, landed in a space, so he's legal. It's not going to be a foul. Mm-hmm. You know? All right. So that's offensive initiated with a legal defender. We're not going to touch that one. Um, you like to say 100%. You know, you got to be 100% when making a call and especially um, giving information to, to, potentially uh, change a call. Um, has anyone ever said to you 99 is good enough or anything like that? With like you, my you partners just, you're saying? Well, you like to say 100 or zero. And right. I've always, you know, said 99 might be good enough for me. You know, it's just something I say, but, you know, I don't agree with it, but, you know, we never want to guess, but if it's a if it's a crucial call and I think I'm 99, obviously I'm, I'm going to go with my gut if I have to. You know, two two man stacked, other guys stacked, got to go with my gut type of thing. I like to say yeah, 99 is good enough for me, and uh, you probably don't like hearing that, but yeah, is there any, has anybody like else that. ever said you know why? Has, has anybody ever... else ever said nine, not not 99? It's got no 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 not 99. I gotta be a hundred. Hundred percent mentality. Be a hundred. Gotta be a hundred. Oh. A lot of uh Okay. In in general in generally speaking, when, when someone t- claims something and then you ask them, Are you a hundred percent? And they're like, Nah, I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm like ninety nine. 
in my experience, a lot of times they're just, they're wrong. They wind up being wrong. If you're not a hundred, you're not a hundred. And, and what I've learned in officiating is like every time you blow the whistle, you have to be certain and have that conviction where it's obvious. It's, oh, 100, black and white. 100 is black and white. 99, 98, now we're in the gray area. So just uh, be 100. Really, really lean into that. Get rid of the 99. 99 is guest culture. I really like what you said there with the... Uh... If you were to get a get a third opinion and they can't also be a hundred correct then you know then obviously nobody on the court can be a hundred correct uh you know hundred percent so i like what you said there um moving on does anybody have you know anything they want to add and with regards to bringing information we want to keep it very simple like if i'm coming to change an out-of-bounds call hey brad i'm a hundred percent that black de deflected it it's going to be white ball on the end line you okay with that yeah, I'm good with that, partner. Thank you. Jude, correction. White ball. So you want to use 100% language when you're meeting with your partner. Okay, and uh, let's touch upon that. If you have a, uh, a play where you're not sure on the out-of-bounds, can't use the players to really help you indicate whose ball it is type of thing, and you don't want to ask your partner... You said you what don't do you do in those situations partner? instead of, well, not yet, you know, if you don't have to, because you just don't want to do that too often in a game type of thing. But um, you, so, just, you just said ball went out of bounds. You don't you don't know whose ball it is. So why wouldn't your initial thought be to ask for help? I guess my initial thought would be. You know, I guess uh, it's fine to have your partners meet as many times as possible during the game. Um, I suppose we don't want to have too many of those situations. No, this that's, isn't, that's the only this, thing. This isn't you stop the game and then you run up to your partner and say, hey, Jim, I don't know whose ball that was. This is help. It was a quick tip deflection. You have to be more confident that you don't know that you're not 100%. There's a confidence in know in knowing that you're not sure too. Be okay with that. Be okay with that. The game appreciates when you ask for help. Trust me. Players appreciate it if because it shows you're being honest. And it's uh, it shows the human side of the game. Now this is where great partnering comes in. And as soon as you ask for help, I'm gonna blow my whistle and point the new direction and give you help. And then boom, look at that teamwork. You didn't know. One person didn't know. He asked me. I came right in with the right answer. And now look at that. We made a mistake and we fixed it in front of everybody's eyes. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. I guess part of the... Uh... Go ahead, John. My, my one thought, two things. I've been to camp a few, two, two years now, and the best officials I've seen that are clinicians that admit... Um, some of the hardest plays they see are the out-of-bounds calls because you can't project where it's gonna, when it's going to happen, where it's going to go. And oftentimes they, they run into those. To Paul's point, I think it's, it shows a lot of continuity among the, among the group if we can get that call right between two of us or whatever. Um, one trick, especially like high school 
oftentimes the players know where the ball's going. Sometimes I'll just put my hand up and wait even a quarter second, and you can kind of get a sense of what happened from what the players' reactions, and then put the ball in play the right way. But I would be careful to do that at the collegiate level. We want to make sure we get these right. So having your partner help you, I think, is probably your best bet. Agreed there. This, yes. And this gets back to the last topic, which was your 99% mentality. If you had a hundred percent mentality, then your next steps are going to be obvious to you, and you're going to have the confidence to just be like, "Listen, it's the hardest, one of the hardest plays in officiating. Out of bounds plays in the lead. If you don't know, ask for help. So you, I want you to get to a point where you're okay asking for help. And I'm not saying you thought what I meant ask for help was if you make a call and after you make the blow the blow the whistle now you don't know what you have and now you're going to go out of your way to go ask your partner for help that doesn't really happen really and you know and i'm oh, sorry i didn't follow that you said that doesn't really happen what doesn't happen where you call foul or you call out of bounds and then instead of like asking on the spot you approach them and go talk to them about the play while everybody's waiting for the call i i thought that's what you were kind of describing initially and, and you showed a hesitant. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess. Um, okay, yeah, I guess I'm worried about having to ask your partner too many times in the same game, but I like what you said there. Um, what was I going to add? Um, well, why are you worried about that? Why, why would you, well, you know, how many times are you going to? How many times are you going to have to? Um, well, help? I've never done it more than really. Right, more. I mean. And it the play just, you're describing uh, here is the hardest play in basketball. What was that? I mean, the play we're describing here is one of the hardest plays in basketball. So just be confident, pregame that shit and say, hey, we need to, if I need help as the lead, please come in and help me on, on possession plays. Hey, can, I ask a question? can I ask a question in that regard, Paul? You know, you talk about being 100%, right? So you're asking, you get asked for help from your partner. Maybe you're not focused on that maybe you're looking in your primary do you need to be 100 percent to come in there and, and say blue ball white ball yeah absolutely 100 yeah. I mean, applies to either position because I, I i've got caught on that right my partner asked for help and i'm like geez i didn't i didn't see it and i'm like we gotta go jump okay that's correct that's good that's what you're supposed to do be okay with bad, you know i feel bad he's asking me for help and i'm like don't feel bad though yeah. <laughs> don't don't feel bad that's it yeah you had your competitive matchup you, you were doing your thing yeah um i i remembered what i was gonna say um so there's a difference between you asking for help and you Having a hundred percent knowledge that your partner just called the wrong direction, we're not going to change a, a foul call, from what I know, unless it's a crew saver. But um, with regard to that, well, give me your take on that, Paul. So, um, you know, you asking for help as opposed to your partner just coming and saying, "Listen, I'm a hundred percent certain uh, certain it should be the other direction." Okay, yeah. So this is the flip side of this, where he just signals the wrong direction. Again, back to being 100% and back to bringing information. We talk about it in the pregame. Guys, bring information if you're 100%. This, this play follows right in that category. It's definitely a play that you can come change. If I call out of bounds, white ball, 
Brett clearly knows has 100% information that black deflected it or that white deflected it, you got to blow your whistle, boop, 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 and run in and say the same verbiage pretty much. Just explain it different. Partner, I'm 100% that it what black deflected it or whatever the case may be. You just bring the information of whose ball it should be using that 100% language. And then they got to change it. What about a scenario where your partner comes in, claims they have, you know, their, their, your call was off and you're 100% that it kind of wasn't off? What about those? I mean, it's very rarely that two people are going to 100% the game like that. Um, I'll say something about that. Yeah, you got a scenario? Pre-game, if I always say, if you're coming in with information, I'm changing the call. As simple as that. I will, I will we'll deal with the consequences, but if you come in with information, we are changing the call. I don't know if you like that, Paul, but I just don't want to have the. No, fight. that's something I say. I, I agree. And I just haven't came across a scenario where I'm 100% in my call and then somebody else comes in and 100%'s me. So I've, n- I've never really had to answer it. I'm thinking if that actually does happen. I mean, I know we we could follow your point, John. I I would think I would have a tough time. I I feel like if I'm a hundred percent on something, I don't I don't know if this scenario is going to happen in our game. Um, I've had that happen. It wasn't on the out of out of bounds call, but I had two of my partners the uh, possession after halftime, and it was a big fear. And it was like, dude, just just let it go. This let's keep the game moving but it was just it was too much unnecessary conversation too much time and everyone and it was a, a big game so uh yeah I've been in a situation like that and I was the third man and you know I, I told what I had and it was still uh like the the head the, our, our crew was crudely was he was just wasn't trying to hear he, he so just let hey let him have it so well it's important to obviously ego from these situations you know i have none um i'm just thinking 100 percent. you're you're coming in with 100 all right now we got to discuss it maybe it's mm-hmm. this conversation is going to take an extra minute let's t- let's talk about the play mm-hmm. tell me what you had i'll tell you what i had we'll take it from there but i think um what like john said for the most part when a partner brings information 100 percent, we're going to change have, yeah thanks alan i appreciate that um yeah, I've had those. The one where maybe interesting is like a block charge play with a restricted area kind of call where you just you have two really conflicting, very close play, and you might have to talk about it. And that one maybe you don't change or you do change depending on what you guys saw and you get together on that. But from possession and all that, I'm going with whatever's brought to my hundred percent to my attention, even if I think I'm right. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna accept my partner's um, plea there. Yeah, there was that great flip a few weeks ago, Paul, where the uh, the center, I believe, came and had information about the defender being in the restricted area, and they they overturned the call. That was a, a really good flip. I think that should be seen by, you know, everybody. Um, what else we got out here? Try to get to a couple others. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh. So, um, yeah, also with the, the uh, partner coming in with info, there was, there was a play I had where 
you know the plays where there's a gather, a foul, a regather, you know, after the whistle, regather, realizes he can't get a shot up after getting hit and passes the ball. What do we got? I just also want you to eliminate any pro interpretations you have in your mind. I'm just, yeah, okay, I got NBA, you. Um, NBA like play, plays. I, I know there, there's people in our group that are pursuing it, um, but I would prefer to keep it high school and NCAA. Uh, right, for you too, because you're working high school and NCAA, so don't even be confused by that. With, you're talking about the, uh, the continuation? Uh, just the M NBA pro plays in general. A couple, couple times today you've kind of mentioned a, like a pro interpretation. So I'm just saying don't be gotcha. by that. The one, the one really uh, remember uh, memorable instance I had was the shooter went up, got hit, regathered the ball, could no longer shoot the ball, so throws it to the corner. I call a shooting foul after the gather. My partner blows a whistle, said, you know, he probably was stacked, never saw the player trying to gather. And I ended up um, giving him the shots. And um, there was a weird situation, but I explained to my partner what I saw and he wasn't too happy about it. But, you know, uh, in, that in that situation, he, you know, met with me and I didn't change the call. So to go along with what John said, that that was a weird one and I haven't seen it too much. But um, Paul, that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he was gathering, he got hit, the ball was dislodged, you know, illegal contact, but he's able to re-catch the ball and, and make, a, make a pass. That would be a shooting foul, correct? Doesn't sound like it. He, he's, he gathers the ball, he gets hit, meaning he gets fouled, right? Was he going yeah. up? Did you, was that his upward shooting motion? Because that's different than just gathering the ball. Shake it out. Bad. Shake it out, Brett. Shake it out. <laughs> <laughs> shake, shake the screen. Where'd you go? yeah that just from hearing what he's saying if i'm hearing it right it sounds like he was i guess trying to interpret he was going up for the shot got hit lost the ball gathered the ball and passed is that what, yeah that what, sounds what like out? yeah yeah it's just very rare we're going to call a shooting foul as a player's passing the ball mm-hmm it's but if he caught if he called the foul and that initial contact on him going up for the shot, if he determines that initial contact where mm -hmm. he was in his upward shooting motion and he was actually shooting, mm -hmm. different than gathering and jumping, got right. yeah. We have to judge their intent there, so that's just a judgment call. Mm -hmm. But if we if we're a little patient, I don't know. It, like I said, it's tough to ref this play that we can't get a visual on right but it's almost like you wait an extra half second and you see what he's doing he passed it in front of everyone so we're not going to give him two shots now you would you would imagine that he would continue with the shooting motion after that so all right i guess we lost brett um 
Let's see what else he had from his list. Uh, he's talked about an illegal screen with a defender not active. True or false? To, true or false? An illegal, to be an illegal screen, a defender must run into the offense. Is the screener displaced? Um, dead ball contact, automatic T, no stop clock. Difference between what's the difference between a technical and a flagrant and intentional? Okay, so he's got a lot of questions here. I would have preferred him to interpret these. Um, John, you working any games? Or are you taking off the summer? What's going on with you? Um, yeah, I did a bunch of high school stuff, uh, a couple camps for college, um, and yeah, assignments should be coming out. I think for October, November, pretty soon. So that's exciting. But uh, yeah, mostly high school, a, me a couple men's leagues, and then a couple high school leagues. But nothing too crazy. Been pretty busy with work, going through an acquisition and stuff. So um, focus a lot on that. Working on the golf game too. So nice. yeah, very cool, very cool. We got Carmela stopping in. Say hello. Hi. Sorry, I just got out of yeah. school. <laughs> Are you wearing your crown refs gear to school? Uh, today I didn't. No, I wore it last night. I wore actually I wore it yesterday. Yeah, nice. I did. That's what's up. Can you referee soccer in a crown refs shirt? <laughs> I refed it in a crown refs hat. I have a crown refs hat, and I officiated it yesterday. Carmelo. That's awesome. Carmelo is our, our uh, team store model try i try <laughs> i guess i got disconnected hello there it is brett carmelo this is brett hi brett what's up carmelo how are you i'm fantastic i sure i missed the majority of it i just got out of work so i teach so i'm at i just ended school nice it's a great time of day by the way when that bell rings, eighth period. It's amazing. I am a phys ed major <laughs> myself. Like with my yeah. kiddos. Every day it's good. Mm-hmm. So uh that'll be out by four. Brett, what do you want to finish with? Um I tried reading some of your questions, but I, I, I just didn't do a good job at uh figuring out what you wanted to ask. Um uh -oh. Let's see what we got here. So uh, I'm trying not to go with a. Hello? Yeah. Hey, Brett, you're in and out. Kill your uh, kill your video and see if that improves. Oh, okay. John, right. John just didn't want to look at you anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's all good. You have a weird, like, pretend I know what I'm doing with this haircut here. Just trying to look like a, a ref. Fake until you make it. Um, hey, I'm jealous, buddy, I promise. What's that? <laughs> jealous. Um, so I asked you, Paul, about this the other day. Um, fake, or maybe not the other day, but uh, faking a inbound pass at a player's face. Hmm. Okay. What is that all about? What do we what do we got there? Because that to me, what do you got? You know, at their head. Uh, so so a one a one is inbounding. B two is face facing him. A one does the uh, Matt Barnes to Kobe, pretty much, right? Correct. 
Correct. Okay, so what do you got? You had it in your game? How did you handle it? Uh, have I had it? I have had it. Um, I did not leave it based on, you know, it's unfortunate that I have seen that clip where they, they don't leave it. But, you know, like we said, we're not going to touch upon the pro rules here. Um, is it unsporting conduct in my eyes? Yes. Um, did I call anything? No. Uh, I may have, you know, addressed it with the player. Um, so, so is there a difference? You're cut. Between that and throwing the ball at their head. You're cutting out. Right? And throwing it. What do we got? Is that is that two different things? Because, you know, throw the ball and get a player's face, that is a flagrant foul. Obviously, your dead ball uh, is, is. Brett, Brett, you're cutting in and out. What was the second part of that scenario? Where you're saying how it could be legal? Just, I didn't catch that part. No? Closer to the, uh, the router here. I didn't hear that second part. Is that any better? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. What was the second part Sorry, of that? Where was I? Uh, what was it again? Sorry. You were determining if it was legal or illegal, but what would be the legal part? You said where the player was just making a pass and it. Uh, they're they're faking an inbound at a player's uh, face. Right. Yeah. So that's unsportsmanlike. It's just a question of the severity of it. If Matt, if he does the Matt Barnes, I think that's an obvious technical foul. If it's something that's maybe le less close to his face or less rapid, maybe you can speak to him about it. But I think in the scenario you laid out, I'm calling a technical foul. High school, college. Yep. Both. Yep. Okay, and obviously, he if he releases the ball, hits you know hits the player anywhere on the body, he, we got a flagrant, and uh, that's a hundred percent correct. Throwing the ball at a player on, on purpose, no matter what body part, no matter how hard, is a flagrant foul because we've all seen the plays where, you know, player A one after a make or dead ball or whatever throws a pass either lightly enough for B one to catch it or not lightly enough, and, and, you know, B1 throws it back. So they both threw the ball to each other so that they could catch it as opposed to throwing it so hard that it was going to hit them. Obviously, if they hit the guy, flagrant ejection. But, you know, what if we got two players bickering by passing the ball at each other hard enough so that they can catch it? Double technical, that's it. Sounds like it. Yeah. But if a player, it does matter which body part too. I mean, if they if you throw it softly and it hits my knee, that's different than you throwing it hard and hit my face. Yeah, and uh, another thing is we've all seen when a player's not looking and they pass the ball to their back or something, but it's not that hard. I mean, that's a technical foul. But uh, there's instances where the player happens to turn their head right when they, you know, toss the ball to them and it wasn't that hard. So obviously you have to make a, a tough judgment call there. But um, anytime the, the player throws the ball at another player, it's going to be a flagrant, correct? Do you have a specific instance, though? Like, do you have a play that ha just happened for you? Because 
it's tough to talk about these big picture hypothetical scenarios without either getting a visual or getting a real life scenario. I guess I don't. I'm just wondering, you know, what people have to say with uh, how hard you throw it, when you throw it, where are they looking, things like that. I mean, you can't throw the ball at the other team. Are Are you saying like when there's a turnover and A1 is now the defense and he's giving the ball back to the other team? Shouldn't he be giving it to the ref? Like, I'm just having a tough time um, visualizing. Um, dead ball, you know, a lot of talking going on. Maybe they chest pass the ball to a player they're trash talking to, and the player catches it and chest passes it back, yes. and they both catch I it. I have a double T right there. On that scenario, I have a double T. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're not going to talk about how hard you have to throw the ball or where you have to throw the ball and things like that. But throwing the ball is fighting. So, no, uh, that's not true. Oh, it's not. I just said it was a double tech. You threw it at me, I threw it at you. That's not fighting. That's well, not an objection. What if, what if they get hit in the head because they're not looking? Okay, but now we're, we're changing the whole play. Now right. Change right. the entire. Now we have an entirely different play. I hear you there. You know, it's not fighting. The, the first play you, you described was just two people throwing a chest pass to each other. That's not fighting. You throwing the ball at my head when I'm not looking, that's an ejection. Yeah, you can call that fighting because it's just like a punch. Gotcha. Right. It's just different mm-hmm. context. Um. I know we're running short on time. Um, let's see. Uh, how about the plays where the whether it's a foul situation or not to stop the clock? Uh, B one reaches and tries to touch or grab the shirt and barely touches the shirt or barely touches the player um, with one hand, if you will, uh, you know, uh, it's much different if it's two hands, but how many, or what do you have to say about when do you call the foul and when do you call an intentional foul? Obviously not in the end of the game when they're trying to foul, but what about those plays where they barely touch the shirt? Is this a take foul situation? Uh, it is. Where they barely grab the shirt. So for you, what, what, what has to be, because there's often times where they don't understand that if they just put two hands on a player where the ref can see, that's a foul. But then there'll be times where like they barely touch the player, they just tap them once with a hand and they expect the ref to call a foul. So we have to, you know, be pretty knowledgeable about how to stop the, when to stop the clock, because it could determine, you know, a lot if we, if they're expecting a foul call and, and we look at it as, well, you, you, you touch his shirt with, your finger so well listen in take foul situations we're going to adjust the ruling a little bit differently if we know a team is trying to foul the first time i put my finger on you it's going to be a foul yeah that's okay. just the way we're calling it okay so, so i was taught that's the way we're, we're in a take foul situation i just have to touch you now normally if you look at that contact you may say that's not a legal contact well in this this case it is Right okay, now, if, but if I don't touch you, if I miss you, then that's not a take foul. That's not a foul. I gotta touch you. There gotta be contact. Gotcha. So anytime it looks like they're trying to foul and there's any contact at all, we're gonna we're gonna blow it. If you if they want it, give it to them. Gotcha. 
you know, and be proactive and on the inbounds. Guys, go for the ball. Hey, White, if you're fouling, go for the ball. This is stuff you could be saying while you're dribbling, getting ready to give it to A1. Go for the ball, White. Don't grab from behind. Just proactive game management there to try to avoid that late game intentional foul. Um, so, yeah, th that's a good scenario, though. Take foul scenarios and uh, being proactive to try to avoid the intentional foul. Does that, does that make sense, Brett? Absolutely, yeah. So you're saying if, it, if they're touching them and it's a foul situation to stop the clock, we have to call it. I, I would recommend calling it, yes. Instead of deciding or, or, you know, is that enough to, you know, that's not a thing. Yeah, because we don't want them to run up and crush them. Mm -hmm. We don't want to promote like, oh, no, you got to foul them harder than that. No, it's like, ref, ref, I'm trying to stop the game, I'm trying to foul. Just got to make sure they go for the ball, not tugging on the jersey, not wrapping from behind, that kind of stuff. Okay, uh, how much more time we got? I got to bring my daughter to uh, her school. She's going to kindergarten. She's going to meet, meet her class, so I got to bounce. Excellent. Um, I hope this was helpful for you. Absolutely, yeah. No, 100%. I appreciate everyone's time here, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Awesome, man. Thank you for bringing that. And just try to narrow in and, and really think about specific plays. You know, I know you have a lot of questions. You're seeing a lot of plays, a lot of, a lot of big picture questions. Get Break it down to the specifics, whether it's a rule-based discussion, um, stuff like that. But keep, keep doing your thing. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you for everybody else. Uh, Welton's great seeing you. Thanks for joining. Scott, no problem, no problem. your support. Taylor, thank you for saying hello to Lexi. And uh, we will see you guys in September. We're going to start um, two sessions a week again. We'll do one, one Zoom and one Discord. So we'll be back on that. All right. So uh, you guys have a great rest of your summer. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Crown Refs Podcast. Serve the game.